0: Here's our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. Hope you are having uh, a delightful day. It's uh, gray anatomies here. Uh, <laughs> junkos are just covering the ground, feeding on. I put out some millet for them. And the dark-eyed junkos they're a sparrow, but they're little gray with white bellies or undersides. And they flash these beautiful white outer tail feathers in flight. So it's just... I welcome their company, and, they, uh, they, you know, they come down here because they like spending the winters with us. They come down from uh, up north, as we would say. I think the juncos are cute,
0: kind of like chickadees are cute. I always think juncos are, are cute.
1: They are, and they make sounds like uh, toy ray guns.
0: Oh, is that what that is? Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, <laughs> what it sounds like to me. When I was a kid, you know, everybody wanted those little... Ray guns, because they had a lot of really bad sci-fi films (laughs) with kind of dorky monsters and creatures from outer space. But they all had cool ray guns. So we, uh, as a little boy, I wanted one of those ray guns. And that's kind of what they sounded like. Uh, And now you look back at them and you think, boy, those things weren't, uh, they weren't really scary at all. And No, they weren't. But uh, it it was what we had. Right. We had to make do.
0: Hey, I got an email from Jeff in Janesville. They were talking about the birds and gray birds and things like that. Jeff in Janesville said the bird he asked about last week, it's a tree sparrow with that orange breast. He came back, and I tried to get a picture to send to Al, but I have to work up my smartphone camera skills. Another little bird came yesterday, half the size of the tree sparrow, a lighter shade of gray than the sparrow with the beautiful shade of yellow breast, really cute little gray. What do you think he could be?
1: Boy, with a yellow breast, Uh, that and before I forget, there was one other bird, the Harris's sparrow, that might be in that too. That kind of have an orangey. They're a bigger sparrow, so they'd be larger than an American tree sparrow. So that might be one also, Jeff. And yeah, you will get a photo. I have no doubt. uh, I, I have complete confidence in your photographic skills, Jeff. So I know you will uh, conquer.
0: Well, now the they bird want... with a yellow breast—could that be a kingbird?
1: Because nope, nope, nope. We—they uh, are insectivores. So mm. boy, they need to be out of here because otherwise they are goners. So you—you you wouldn't see them here. Uh, We have other ones. There's like a uh, yellow-bellied flycatcher, and it's the same thing. We would not see them here now because uh, they are insect eaters. Uh So the ones that we have that have uh, a little yellow on the belly is, of course, uh, the first one would be a goldfinch. Uh, Oh, sure. everybody, Everybody knows what they are, so that's probably not it. Some years, and it used to happen a lot more often, we get the evening grosbeak, and that was really, really cool. And this is a small bird that Jeff is seeing. Otherwise, on occasion, we do get meadowlarks that will hang around all winter, and they're a bigger bird, and they look like they're wearing a cardigan sweater, but they have a yellow underside. Um, Boy, we get... uh, yellow rumped warblers that have a little bit of yellow on the side and on occasion we'll see one in the fall uh, passing through i don't know if they get lost or what happens to them but we will see them they will come and eat suet so they can get by in the winter and they would certainly be wending their way well probably more than wending they're probably uh got the pedal to the metal headed (laughs) south uh, and they just go as far south as they need to go. So they're they're tough little guys, and that's why they're very often the first one of the first warblers we see in the spring. So, uh, boy, I don't know what else you know. I, one of my nemesis birds here in the county in which I live is the yellow-breasted chat, and that would he wouldn't be around now either, but. Every time somebody says they have something with a yellow belly, I immediately think of a yellow-breasted chat because I want to see one in this county. Oh. I have. Uh, I'm not a chronic lister anymore, but I still like to see. Uh, I'd like to see one of them in the county here because I, I've seen it in, uh, I don't know how many counties right around here. But I can never find one here, so I, I tried to chase them up here. Uh, whatever I could do, I saw one in Worth County and Winnebago County, just into Iowa, and I tried to. I talked to them, you know, giving them the Minnesota PR talk, how their life would be so much better if they moved across the border into Minnesota, and uh, but they wouldn't have anything to do with it. So again, man, if I could see a photo, I could tell you right off. But it, we have the little uh, red-breasted nuthatches, but there's this kind of a an orangey. We see some uh, house finches. Uh, house finches usually they're red, but they it has an orangish tint. But I see some of them that are pretty yellow. So that'd be another one, and they're stripey uh, birds. Uh so uh, I'm sure I'm missing the one that it is Jeff and I apologize uh you know how it is when you try to, it's like when you try to remember all your cousins <laughs> I leave out uh, a couple of that uh, you know I have uh, what do we have 51 first cousins or something and I I try to rattle them off sometimes and I always forget some and I I feel guilty about that but uh boy otherwise yellow warblers you know they have yellow but they're not around now um, so it, it's a lot of birds that would have those, but they're not around now, Jeff. But, boy, get a picture, and uh, that'd be wonderful. Uh, those American tree sparrows, I saw some of them this morning. They, European settlers incorrectly named them because the birds reminded them of the Eurasian tree sparrows from back home and american tree sparrows they're ground birds they forage on the ground they nest on the ground they breed in scrubby areas near the northern tree line it's a small sparrow has a long notched tail and an unstreaked gray brown breast uh, and belly and it has a dark spot in the center and the upper mandible of its bill is dark and the lower is yellow it has a rusty cap, and eye line, and a gray face. So they're, um, they're beautiful little birds. I was uh, going for a walk the other day, and I found a gray sack hanging from a branch, and it's a place where I'd walk that trail regularly. I didn't notice a Baltimore Oriole nest until a tree had shed its leaves. It had been a bustling bag of baby birds not long before. And the female is the primary architect with an unbelievable weaving artistry. She builds nests well enough that some survive several years. And a nest includes hundreds of fiber strands of plant material. Uh, Around here would be grapevine, various kinds of grasses, uh, dogbane, milkweed, and other things, as well as yarn and string uh, birds are fine company. I watch chickadees enhance my yard, as you said, Karen. They are just such—they're uh, cute. And how do they survive winter? Birds have systems in place. They're—they're uh, they're meant to survive winter. And small songbirds migrating through and those who winter here often associate with chickadee flocks. And these followers listen to the voices of their chickadees leaders chasing the moment, and when they hear an alarm note, they react. So the chickadees know the best places to eat. They know where trouble lies, and they are a, uh, an alert system that will has the other birds uh, safer because they they listen to these guys. I noticed nuthatches really do that. They follow chickadees and if a chickadee goes chickadee dee dee those nuthatches will just flatten out on the bark of a tree. Really? Till the chickadee yep, <laughs> till the chickadee says, "Nah, it's okay. <laughs> I was wrong funny. on that." It's just <laughs> Uh, Chickadees, I think blue jays sometimes uh, give false alarms. They're also a a great sentry of the woods, but I think chickadees are always pretty serious when they're doing that. And again, the more D-D-D-D-D-D's they put out there, the more dangerous the threat is. Oh, I thought they were
0: just singing for a mate. I didn't realize that was a danger signal.
1: Yep, when they do that chickadee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee. I heard one uh, yesterday out here, and then uh, that night I heard a screech owl calling. So it's very possible that the chickadee had uh, determined where this screech owl was spending the day and was letting other birds know. Because if you're a chickadee, a great horned owl might not frighten you very much, or a red-tailed hawk, or a bald eagle. But a screech owl, that is yeah. uh, that is an enemy right there, and you need to let everybody know. And I watched them one day. The screech owl was in a flicker box, or maybe a wood duck box, one of the man-made boxes anyway. And uh, chickadees found it, and then the nuthatches were over there, the blue jays came in, and they were all mobbing this little uh, owl, which wasn't even really out, just his head was peeking out of the hole. And they all were just, oh just going nuts and I watched uh, through the cameras a little owl yawned so I guess that's how excited he was worried about their attacks but uh, you know it's serious business when you're a little bird because that's uh, that's something that could put the end to you. Uh, My wife got a a nice uh, video from Claire Dobie. Uh, Claire, first knew Claire because she's from New Alm but now she's out in River Falls, Wisconsin, and she sent uh, Gail a video of a ruffed grouse following her. So Claire's just hoofing along, and here's this grouse just coming right behind her, and it's kind of... For a little while, it kind of ran serpentine, like uh, we try to do through a heavy rain, which does no good whatsoever. But anyway, it's following her. It's, uh, this grouse is the size of a small chicken, and it's noted for its muffled drumming sounds during spring mating season. And males have a concealed neck ruff. Uh, hence the name rough grouse, that they display during courtship. And rough grouse are found in forests from southeastern to northwestern Minnesota. Uh, young to probably middle-aged aspen forests provide the best habitat. But alder lowlands and patches of gray dogwood are especially attractive to rough grouse in summer and fall they're almost exclusively flower eaters living on the dormant flower buds or catkins of trees such as aspens, birches, cherries, and dogwoods. An extensive feeding upon these flower buds in apple orchards once caused the rough grouse to be placed on the list of bountied animals in some New England states at one time. So they had a bounty on it. I picture an old west thing that said (laughs) wanted dead or alive, and here would be a picture of a rough grouse. In southeastern Minnesota, south and southwest facing slopes are the preferred wintering areas for grouse. And they like being around sumac, hazel, and red cedar because that provides food and cover. The sun's direct rays will melt the snow on those slopes, and then the grouse can forage on the ground for seeds and acorns. They will certainly take those in in the winter. They don't migrate, and they usually spend their entire adult life in an area of less than 40 acres. So, boy, sometimes we think we don't travel much. They have a maximum life expectancy, I would guess, maybe six years or something. It wouldn't be very long, and their average lifespan is probably less than two years. Mm-hmm. So if you're an adult male, you establish a territory, and you got five or six acres that you have to take care of. Hens will establish territories of five to 25 acres, so they're ranging over upwards to six male territories during the winter they're basically solitary rough grouse populations are cyclical so if you talk to a grouse hunter you will hear all about that and the population peaks uh, approximately every 10 years and once established in this territory that male, I talked about uh, 40 acres, but once he's established, a male may never venture more than to six to 800 feet from his drumming log the wow. rest of his life. It's a, If it's working for him, he's going to hang in there. <laughs> he's uh, a homebody. young <laughs> He is. The young males and females can disperse several miles before they find suitable habitat to set up their home ranges. Uh, Red-tailed hawks, uh, goshawks, great horned owls are quick to spot them and make lunch of them. Uh, The rough grouse has a way of minimizing risk while dining, and I've watched them do this. They eat real fast. They come up 20 minutes, a grouse can swallow enough buds to make it through the day. Uh, Male rough grouse are aggressively territorial throughout their adult lives. I've heard of a grouse riding on snowmobiles, ATVs, tractors, and trucks. Uh, A wildlife biologist, he was pretty wild too, but a wildlife biologist told me that he'd seen a grouse displaying in the middle of the gravel road. So he stopped his truck and got out to chase the grouse from the road because he's going to get run over. Well, the bird flew into the cab of his truck and wouldn't leave, so he was driving around with a grouse in his truck for a while. Uh, There's another explanation in that this behavior is a throwback to how grouse previously acted before they were hunted. There's a quote uh, for Bush in 1927 wrote "When the country was first settled this bird was one of the most tame and unsuspicious of the fowls of the air. it was known as a fool hen and he went on to say they were so tame that many were killed with stones or sticks or uh, canoe paddles uh, but you know a rough Rough grouse one goal is to make copies of itself. So it'll invest as much energy as it takes to find a mate and defend a territory. It's a state bird of Pennsylvania. They grow comb-like membranes on their feet in September which allow them to walk easily over the snow. So it's like growing your own own snowshoes. And they lose those in the spring. And I've watched them uh, come out to feed, and then they fly down and burrow into the snow for an insulated shelter like an igloo in the cold, and this is called snow roosting. So I think that your bird is probably uh, still uh, protecting its territory, or or maybe it just likes you, Claire, and why <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, Jeff Passer of Keister is he says i'm seeing sandhill cranes and hearing them all summer so i'm assuming they're nesting here but the i saw 21 flying over he said it's the most i've ever seen fly over keister 21 sandhill cranes Uh, bob williams saw a redhead which is a duck in lesseur county and brian smith saw a harris's sparrow in brown county And I saw several inert bodies of wild turkeys hit by cars. The big birds, they can be stubborn when it comes to surrendering a road. They just say, drive around, drive around. (laughs) And uh, for some reason, I think I have fond memories of spreading my fingers and outlining them in pencil on construction paper to create a make-believe turkey in grade school. And we had to have make-believe ones because we didn't see any wild turkeys. Uh, Oh, here's a nice, uh, good question from a listener. Why don't small birds fly in V formations like geese? Yeah, so, okay, we got the uh, robins are going to migrate in a flock, or red-winged blackbirds getting these huge flocks. Why don't they fly in a V formation? Because a, a goose gets a lift from the wingtips of the goose flying in front of it. So it just makes flying easier for everybody except that lead goose, which really has to work hard. Why wouldn't you, if you're a small bird, say, look, gang, we got to get in this V formation thing like the geese are doing. It seems to really be helpful. I Small songbirds are too small, I think. They wouldn't create enough of an updraft to make a v formation useful so otherwise i'm sure they would be doing it they would have figured it out and i'm sure somewhere way back when uh, one of their ancient ancestors probably said let's try this v formation this said no nah, this doesn't this doesn't work for us uh listener asked do al do polar bears hibernate Uh, Only the pregnant polar bear females enter a den for months at a time, and boy, when is that, October to March, to give birth to cubs and then nurse them for the first three months of the cubs' lives. Other polar bears are outside during the winter. They're hunting seals and getting by. The female may lower her heart rate, her metabolism, and her breathing rate in this den, but not to the point of a true hibernator. She goes in, uh, I've seen scientists refer to it as a state of light hibernation, which allows her to minimize the amount of energy needed to stay alive while tending to her cubs. And prior research, and I bet a lot of you, if you've read anything about polar bears, you've come across this, I sure have, a thousand times. Prior research had hinted that all polar bears were capable of walking hibernation. And I remember, uh, oh, maybe in the 80s or so where I first came upon walking hibernation. Wait, so is that like
0: walking in your sleep?
1: sort of pretty close yeah and we all know people that i think are capable of walking hibernation even when they're (laughs) awake but it's a period of decreased metabolism undertaken by bears during the summer and fall in response to lack of hunting opportunities so it's hard to find food so you just go in this walking hibernation and you can still move around but your metabolism just drops but there have been new studies that have found no evidence to support this theory. Oh. There's no indication that polar bears could adjust their metabolism enough to deal with a scarcity of prey, and that was a great blow to me because I just thought walking hibernation was one of the <laughs> coolest things that any animal could do, and now I find out that, <laughs> yeah, it's a, a I won't say it's a bunch of hooey, but it's just it's just not true. Oh. Uh, um, why don't the Feet of the songbirds at my feeder freeze. I have some metal on the feeders that they sit on while they eat. Um, let's think about a, a little, like my chickadee, my my favorite bird. He's there and he's uh, grabbing a sunflower seed. The way he goes, his feet are mostly bones, sinew, which would be tendons and ligaments, and scale. So there's little muscle or nerves in that foot. Another thing, you know, his feet lack sweat glands, so they're unlike ours. His feet stay dry. Ours don't. And the arteries that transport blood to his legs are in contact with the veins that return blood to his heart. And this allows the heat to be transferred between the two and uh, keeps his feet Fairly warm, I guess. It keeps it probably uh, as the environment around him is, so it doesn't uh, it doesn't vary too much from what the temperature is, which would really cause some problems. The same listener said, um, "I love weather folklore involving birds. Do you have any?" Oh, your wish is my command. Let's see. We're talking about Jeff Passer and the cranes. So when cranes are aloft, the day is soft. I don't know how many times I've said that in Nebraska to the poor people walking with me, looking at cranes. In the summertime, I always heard when swallows soar, good weather more. Uh, Robin singing at dawn while facing west means a change in the weather by noon. Boy, there's a lot to remember there. Yes, only you know, he's singing at dawn. Is he facing west? <laughs> and so and it's going to be by noon. But if the robin sings loudly from the top of a tree, expect a storm? Oh. Uh, when a woodpecker pecks low on a tree, expect warm weather. And I've heard this one on a lot of lakes. A loon calls loudest before a storm. So, and is there some truth to these? I'm sure, you know, a lot of that folklore has some truth anyway, so it's very, very possible.
0: So speaking of birds, my son uh, observed a woodpecker, and he wasn't sure what kind. What would be the most likely kind on our, it was on the pear trees, which have some, um, they've got a lot of sapsuckers, holes in them and, and that sort of thing. So I'm just curious, what would be the most likely kind?
1: The most likely would be the downy. It's by far and away our most uh,
0: okay. He common. Was, he had looked at pictures, and he, the downy was one of the options he thought it could be. Or I don't remember the other one he said, but hairy. Okay, yeah, that's what he said. Harry or downy, and and I, I wasn't sure, so I said I'd ask you, so I did.
1: A downy's bill is dinky, and a <laughs> hairy woodpecker's bill is huge. Oh, so, okay. Harry huge, downy, dinky. And the Harry's bill is about as long as his head. Okay. And the, the downies, you know, for a woodpecker's bill, his is um, yeah, it's just not very impressive when it comes. It's just a tiny little bill. And the downy is much smaller, but that uh, size is really hard to tell unless you have both of them lined up together. So it's... Uh, well, he said it was either
0: on the pear tree or the birch tree. I was thinking it was probably more likely the the pear tree because I think they've got some bug issues with with under the bark.
1: Yeah, we have a pear tree here that has fur on it. Fur? So what do you mean? Yeah, it's a gri- it's a grizzly pear. A <laughs> <fur>. <laughs> Sorry. Oh dear. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll be here all day. Don't <laughs> tip your waiter. Um, yeah, it's they uh, they find a, everything to eat this time of year as might be expected. They start uh, feeding on things that they wouldn't normally maybe feed on, and we start seeing them in places where we didn't see them before because they're just coming out. It'll be like the snowy owl. I got three questions about, Will we get a lot of snowy owls this year. Two of them want to get some photos and uh, oh folks predicting the movements of snowy owls difficult due to the you get limited information on prey availability uh, availability and nest success at their remote breeding sites in the arctic because nobody can get into some of those places so some snowy owls migrate south each winter Uh, who knows why but bob the snowy owl he migrates every winter Every three to five years, there's a spike in the population of lemmings in the Arctic. That's their chief food source. And that results in a large number of surviving owl chicks. So you had a lot of lemmings, you have huge families. Adult owls chase the young owls from territory. The owls aren't coming south because they're hungry. Uh, peaks in lemming numbers cause a boom in snowy owls. So a large number of owls force the lemming population down. With fewer lemmings around the next year, snowy owl numbers fall. Fewer owls mean lemming numbers rise, and the cycle repeats. So you have uh, a lot of owls. You get them coming south. The next year, maybe not so owls. You won't get anybody, many, but bob. The owl that comes south every year. He'll stop. He'll still come and somebody will see him. But uh, boy, that is, I gave you a really long answer that is sort of a political answer that really didn't tell you whether we're going to get a lot of snowy owls this year. And that's because I have no idea. So maybe each, is the answer. Yeah. in each year I kind of keep my fingers crossed because I know there's a lot of folks uh, traveling around with cameras who would love to get photos of snowy owls because they are photogenic. Yes. And you get those, and they, they actually kind of, you know, they're hard to see in the snow, but once you get a picture of them, they really jump out of the snow, and they are incredible subjects for a, uh, a photograph.
0: So speaking of pictures, I just got another text asking, um, what book can you recommend to identify birds in our area?
1: I like the uh, the field guides. Their uh, a friend Stan Ticola has the small, the little green ones called Birds of Minnesota, but and they're very good. But they won't have all of them in there. But if uh, you know if somebody. I gave one to an aunt because she just looked at the birds out her window. So that was perfect. And they were arranged by color. So she could look up in the indigo bunting. She could go to the blue and there it was. I like um, regular field guides and my favorite is the National Geographic. But the, the Peterson, uh, the Kaufman, the Stokes, there's so many wonderful ones. But my favorite is the National Geographic. And I think the reason why is it's the one I'm uh, used to and the most comfortable with. So let me know if you have more questions on those field guides. I'd love to give more information.
0: Well, you know, that's a great gift for someone. If, uh, if you are thinking of what to get for someone, uh, a bird watcher's guide would be good. That's why that's maybe a good question to, for others who are thinking of what can I get grandma or whoever, someone who's, like you said, sitting inside looking out the window. So that's a great question.
1: Yeah, and I got one for my mother-in-law, you know, and uh, she used it, my father-in-law used it. It was just, it's handy, it's really small, so it doesn't take up much space, you just sit it right there on the table, so, yeah, it uh, and we can, you know, man, you can never have too many books, I don't know how many times a year I say that, I just love books, so. Hey, um, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. You know, it gets late so early now, doesn't it? Man, it just gets dark. And some people have already deserted us for the warm south. We'll see you in 50 (laughs) degrees, they tell me thanksgiving had been a keeper i delighted in opening my book to that chapter and spent it with good company and asparagus pickles i love asparagus pickles Uh, i was supposed to get watermelon pickles but i couldn't find any anywhere so uh, i got asparagus pickles (laughs) instead and it's really good because nobody else likes them but me so i get to eat them all (laughs) A couple months ago an ambitious wind blew a small branch onto our roof. It was too small to do m- damage and I figured another wind would move it to the ground where I could catch it and then move it to a brush pile. But the stick has resisted all the efforts of the winds to relocate it. It's a sticky stick. Uh, what do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? A stick. <laughs> hey, thanks. Thanks for sticking with us. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, as always, I very much enjoyed your company. Have just a superb rest of the day.
0: Hey, Al, here's a little little tidbit for you. Only 15 days until winter begins.
1: Yay.
0: (laughs) Thanks. It's always great to chat with you. We'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Thanks.
0: Bye-bye.